kind of been tracking with a bit of a theme and, and not really doing in-depth teaching, but like taking a fairly big chunk of scripture and just kind of going through it pretty quick and kind of a big overview. Um, and that was so great even just to, to have that communion focus and, and start with the cross and start with what God has done and that it's, it's his work and it's, it's not our work and, and he's done it all. And the last couple of weeks, we've kind of been focusing, kind of taking that idea and then saying, well, then how do we respond? So he, he goes first, he rescues us, he saves us, but then we're called to live a life in response. And we started by talking about being wholehearted at, at Romans 12, which is a response to God's mercy. And, and sometimes we might be wholehearted for a little while and we might be all in for God for a bit, but then we kind of step back and we kind of think it's time to tap out for a bit. But the call is to stay wholehearted, to stay engaged in worship and in service, in love, to, to engage and follow this God who's so full of mercy. And then last week we talked about being generous and the way God has been first generous to us, even giving us his own son. And he calls us to live a life where we trust and depend on him to provide, where we focus on what he's doing and we live and we give and we're generous and we stay engaged. So there's this sort of theme of we don't want to just do the bare minimum or we don't just do it for a little while, but we stay on board with God, engaged with God with what he's doing. We're sort of still tracking with that idea and that theme, and this, this week's called Devoted. And I'm actually going to talk about being holy or holiness. And it, again, this is a word we don't really use other places outside of the church, or if it is used, it's normally used in a negative way. And even, often maybe even, if we're honest, as Christians, it's kind of sometimes a bit of a negative word. It's like, oh, holy, like that sounds a bit scary, or that sounds a bit religious, or that kind of sounds like, oh, I should keep the rules and, and do the right thing. And sometimes, yeah, we, we even use it as a negative for people, for people. Oh, they're so holy. Like, it's like, don't go near them. They're just so good. Like, and, and we kind of can sometimes think of this word, yeah, negatively. Or we think of it in a reduced way in that we think to be holy means that you don't do bad stuff. You stay away from things that are, are bad or that are evil or you, don't, you keep the rules. You make sure you do the right thing. And and that's what it means to be holy, and then it kind of can turn into this kind of legalistic, I just need to keep the rules and do the right thing and go through the motions. And again, that doesn't really seem right. But it's interesting because it, obviously holiness is incredibly important in the Bible. God is holy. It's who he is. And it's this idea of, yes, God doesn't have evil or impurity. God is separate and God is different, but he's, he's this unique, amazing, wonderful being that's the source of all true goodness and justice and righteousness. That's, that's why God is holy. He, he doesn't have any impurity in him because he's so good. And in a similar way, holiness isn't just staying away from bad stuff, but it's actually for a purpose. Uh, it's interesting, like when, when God says to Moses, Moses comes to him and God says, take off your sandals because you're on holy ground. It's like God is holy. There's a, there's a uniqueness and a specialness to him. Therefore, impurity, the stuff that's on Moses' shoes, shouldn't be in his presence. And I was listening to a guy talk about this, and he said, well, when he was young, when he went into his home, he had to take off his shoes because it had, like, nice wooden floors. I thought I had to do that when I was a kid, but I feel like people don't do that as much anymore. I don't know. Or take off. Some people still do that. Take off your shoes as you go into the house. And he would do that, and then he would sort of think, oh, well, where do I put my shoes? I don't, can't put them on the floor. So, and then he would just, oh, can you click on to the next one? And he would just decide to put them on the kitchen bench. <laughs> Because where else am I going to I can't put them on the floor. And, and he, he said, well, his mum was not very happy about that. 
taking the shoes that are being on the floor and on the road and, and all this sort of stuff, and they put them on the kitchen bench. And it's like, whoa, that's not okay. Like, the bench is holy, in a sense. Like, it's set apart. It's special. It's sacred. But it's not just because there's a rule. It's not just you don't put your shoes on the kitchen bench. It's, it's for a purpose. It's because um, the kitchen bench is for cooking. It's for food. It has a purpose. And therefore, you don't want the stuff on the ground on the kitchen bench. I was, I was reading another guy, and he told a similar story about how he was in his shed one day, and he just needed something to hammer in a nail or, or just sort of knock something in, in place, and he just couldn't find his hammer. It's, all he needed was a hammer, like a couple of knocks, and he saw his golf clubs. And he sort of thought, oh, well, that would do the job. Like, you, you can just sort of knock in with the golf clubs. And then he sort of went to do it, and then he's like, but hang on, these are like my golf clubs. They're worth a lot of money, and they're for golf. Like, they're not for woodworking. <laughs> like, it's actually going to destroy them. And the reason is not that, oh, we just don't do that. It's because of the purpose. Golf clubs, in a sense, are holy in the sense that they're set apart for the purpose of golf. And if you use them for other stuff, you're going to destroy them. It's going to be damaging. It's, 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 they're not just for anything, especially like good ones. Like You want to look after them and, and care for them. And this sense of, is, is more of a sense of the idea of holiness. It's not just keeping rules or staying away from bad stuff. It's actually the idea of being devoted to a purpose, being set apart for a reason. And actually, therefore, there needs to be this sense of, of purity and rightness. And there is a sense of being separate, but it's not just separate. It's separate for a purpose, for a reason. And one of the reasons in the New Testament, it, it says, and throughout Scripture, is that God is holy. God is pure. God is good. He, he's this unique being. And we are his people. And because he is like that, we are to be like that as well. He says, be holy because I am holy. Be set apart for God. Be devoted to him. Be, be, be characterized by the things he's characterized by, goodness and righteousness and justice and truth and beauty. And we're to be set apart for that, not just for anything, particularly things that go against God's nature and God's character. So we're talking today about this idea of being devoted as holiness. So holiness is not just keeping rules, but it's a life that's devoted to God. And again, this is God's work. He's the one who rescues us. He's the one that even transforms us. He's the one that makes us holy by His Spirit. But as we've been saying, there's a way for us to respond. And we're going to read through this passage, and in this passage, there's even things that we're called to do. There's things we're called to not do, but it's not just that they're the rules, don't do those things. It's almost don't do those things because of this purpose, because of this reason. Do do these things instead. So what I'm going to do is, is just sort of go through this Ephesians passage, pull out a few main points and just sort of read through it. But I want you to be thinking through this lens of what we're called is to be devoted to God. And that involves not doing certain things, but it's in order to do the things that honor Him, to be set apart. Our purpose is to reflect and honor and, and reflect this God who is holy. So I might just pray quickly, and then, then we'll go through this passage in Ephesians. So Father, we just thank you that you're our God, that, that you are holy, that you are pure and righteous and good, and that you've made a way for us to come before you um, through the cross by your Spirit. Just ask that you'd speak to us now, Lord, even reframe our minds and how we think about what it means to be devoted and holy you and just lead us by your spirit now we pray amen 
Okay, so I'm just going to read through from Ephesians 4.17. So again, this is sort of second half of Ephesians. Paul's been talking about Jesus. He's been talking about his grace. He's been talking about the Spirit. And then he's sort of saying, now respond this way. He says, so I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. So these people in Ephesus were Gentiles, but they're, they're different. They're in the people of God now. In the futility of their thinking, so don't think like them, they are darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. So Paul's saying, you used to be among all these people who are not set apart for God, who are not living devoted to God, and they're not thinking about God, and he's saying, you're not to be like that anymore. We're called to be different. So there is a separateness. He says, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ. And we're taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So he's saying you were like this, separated from God, not holy, not living a life that reflects God, not thinking the way that God would have us think. But he says, that's who you were. You're not like that anymore. You've been changed. Jesus has rescued you. You've heard the truth about him and who God is. Therefore, live and think differently. And the, the core, the focus he really has in some ways in those verses is about thinking. He says that the Gentiles, those who don't know God, are not thinking rightly according to God. He says, now we have been renewed in the attitude of our minds. So to actually think in a new way. Actually, not just to think how we always thought. We're not to approach life maybe the way we always did, or maybe all the way all the people around us do. We're to approach life through God's truth, through the story of Jesus and what he's done, through the fact of who God is as a holy God, and we've been rescued as his people. And now we start to think, and that, that's the way that we filter everything through in our thinking and our approach to life. And this actually involves quite a deliberate shift. It's actually there was an old way, and now there's a new way. And even as we just sort of celebrated in, in communion that, that we were dead and, and we died with Christ and now we've been raised to new life, that he's rescued us. It's not that we get our act together and we start following God and, and we're all good. It's that we can do nothing, but he gives us new life. He transforms us. He makes us new. But then part of that is that, okay, well, we put off the old. That's how we used to think. That's how we used to live before we knew Jesus. This is how people live who don't know Jesus. We put that off. And we put on a new way of thinking, a new way of approaching God, a new way of approaching life according to his word. And this might need, this is all with God's power and strength, but it also might need to be quite deliberate and might even feel strange in some ways. We might be used to thinking a certain way and actually we're called to put that off and think a new way. Um, one author says it's kind of like when you have really old clothes that are kind of comfortable. Like you've been wearing them for a long time, they fit really well. I always feel like this with shoes. Like once you've worn in shoes, you just don't want to get rid of them because they're like comfortable and you put new shoes on, sometimes actually a bit uncomfortable. But actually there's a, there's a need to put off the old and put on the new. He says this, you may be used to it and even quite like it. Familiar old clothes are often like that and brand new ones often feel a bit strange. But if you want to live as a new person in and for the king, 
The old suit of clothes has to come off, and the new one has to go on. It has to be a new way of thinking, actual putting off of the old and putting on of the new. And we'll keep going. And then he starts to just list a whole heap of behaviors. And, and he's, you'll notice as we go through that he says a lot of things to not do, and that's really obvious. But I want you to notice that he also says a lot of things to do. And in a lot of ways, the things he says don't do is for the sake of the do-do. It's not just don't do them. It's for this reason. There's, there's, there's a purpose. There's a devotion, which is why we don't do those things. So he says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. So he says, put off lying and start speaking the truth to each other, because we're a family and we need to be people of truth. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. So he says, put off anger that, that leads to sin. We might still feel angry, but we need to be aware of that and manage that with God and, and address that with him. And if we don't, maybe we're actually giving an opportunity to the enemy. Anyone who has been stealing must no longer steal, but must work and do something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. So to actually put off stealing and taking and put on working and serving and giving. So there's this, this put off and put on. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. So he starts to address even speech and words that we use. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And this is even greater than sometimes than what we might think of holiness. We might think, well, if we need to be holy, we need to not swear. And, and yeah, that's good. But this is way bigger than that. Like, he doesn't just say, don't, don't use curse words or don't just speak. But he says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Like, you can use words that are appropriate, but still speak in a way that's not wholesome and that doesn't build other people up. He says, put off unwholesome talk in order that we may be people who speak in ways that build others up. That actually, we, we speak in ways that benefit people, not that, that, that don't benefit people. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit, whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. So saying, don't do these things because we are God's holy people, and His Holy Spirit lives in us. And if we take our body, which God is dwelling in, and, and do unholy things, it actually grieves Him. It actually hurts Him. So again, there's, there's a purpose for that. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. So all things that are opposed to love, that lead to destruction, that lead to pain, that don't reflect God. He's saying, he's saying put them off. We don't live that way anymore. Instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And he really comes down to the, the point of being devoted to God. is actually that we are to be people that reflect him, that reflect Jesus' kindness, that reflect his compassion and his love. We say, this is what our God is like, a holy God of justice and compassion and love. And we are made, humans are made to be in his image. And he's restored that. And now we're to live a life that reflects that. So it's not a life of just don't do bad stuff. It's a life of reflect Jesus' kindness. 
It's for this purpose. It's, it's, a, it's a devotion to Him and what He's calling us to be. And interestingly, as I said, this actually isn't just actions but words. And we might sometimes think that, well, what words aren't really that important or they're just words or it's just talking, it doesn't really matter. And, and we see in this passage that Paul's saying, like, no, it really matters. Like, the, the way that we talk, the words that we say have an impact on others on, and on ourselves. And we kind of know this because when other people talk about us <laughs> or when other people say stuff, it affects us. And if we think about God and the way that he talks and the kind of things that he says and the, the wholesomeness and the, the, the love of, that characterizes him, then actually we're to reflect that, not, not speaking in, in a way that actually destroys or, or, or impacts. And actually it's, it is powerful. So we're called to, to be devoted to reflect Jesus' kindness in words and actions. It's this, this positive devotion to him. So he keeps going. He's, he's def de defining holiness as we need to think new, put off the old, put on the new, put off the old, put on the new, reflect Jesus' kindness. It's not just about not doing bad things, but about being devoted to him and honoring him and reflecting him. And then he keeps going, and he gets a bit more specific about not doing, because there's a need to with the situation that's there. And he says this, but among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Again, really, the two big things that he's focused on is speaking and how we speak, and sex and what we do with our bodies. And these are, these are big issues for Ephesus and the, the world that Paul was in, and these are still big issues today that, that we need to deal with and address and talk about. He keeps going. He said, for of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such person is an idolater. It means they don't worship the true God. They worship another God. Has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God? Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. These are pretty full-on verses. And Paul is being very direct and very strong. And, and we can sometimes even misunderstand or take this the wrong way. So we're just going to sort of talk about this for a bit. But his point really is that as God's holy people, we're not to copy the world's darkness. There's the world, the culture, particularly that culture back then in Ephesus, particularly around matters of sex, is, is dark, is, is destructive, but also just everywhere and normal, <laughs> and, and he has to say to them, don't live like that. You're called to be different to that. Don't copy that, because you're now God's holy people. And this is really, really important, that he doesn't say, you have to get your act together so that you can be God's holy people. He doesn't say, stop doing all these sexual things that you're doing, stop doing so that you can be God's holy people. He says the opposite. He says, you are God's holy people, Therefore, don't do those things. It's really important to get the order right. This is how David Guzik says it. We must notice the theme of the moral appeal. It isn't avoid these things so you can be a saint. Rather, it is you are a saint now. Live as in a manner fitting for a saint. The constant moral appeal of the New Testament is simply this. Be who you are 
in Jesus. He's saying it's really important to get clear on who we are. It's, it's not that we're, we're just sinners and all we can do is sin and we're just terrible. It's that we were sinners, we've been rescued and saved, now we are saints, and yes, we still sin, but that's not who we are. That's, that's not living in accordance with who we are. Who we are now, and he even says this while he's describing it, is that we are God's holy people. And he says, as God's holy people, don't copy the world's darkness. Don't continue living that way because of who you are. And, and particularly with this, with this issue, particularly around sex, it's, it's quite diff- difficult because people go to extremes and there's so much confusion. And some extreme is, well, that's a, just a bad thing. Like, that's just don't talk about that. That's embarrassing. That's difficult. We don't want to go there. And it's kind of just repressed and it's kind of just rejected. It's not a good thing. Let's just hide it and don't talk about it. <laughs> and that's kind of maybe sort of been some of the ways of the past. And then people often realize, well, actually, no, that's not very good. Let's go to the other extreme and let's just indulge and whatever goes. Like, this is amazing and let's just let freedom. And people, it's just everywhere. And that's probably more characterized by Roman society and probably more and more characterized by our society that, that it's just anything goes. Just to say that someone shouldn't do something or should restrict something sounds uh, abusive or wrong or oppressive. But actually, Paul's saying, no, that's the world's darkness. And actually, both of those extremes are wrong. There's actually a middle ground where we trust God's good design. That God has given sex for the purpose of uniting two people as one flesh, a husband and a wife as one. It's actually giving your body to another person. So going and sort of just having this this freedom and the immorality that was there that day and that is there in our day is actually not in line with the design. It's actually destructive. But it's not, we don't just say, oh, there's a rule. Don't do that. Because that, that's, that's not right. The, the, the reason is for the purpose. There's a design. There's an intent. That's why the rule's there. Tom Wright says it this way. There are lots of empty words out there. It's the saying, we'll hear lots of people talking about this and saying things and trying to convince us of some things. And like Paul says, he says their words are empty. They might sound big and important, which echo and resonate in our culture, but they have nothing inside them. No life, no truth. Precisely because sex is a good and important part of God's creation of the animal kingdom and of humans within it, precisely because it is the means of tenderness and intimacy between husband and wife, as well as the means of God-given procreation, precisely because it is the occasion for great blessing and emotional fulfillment, because of all these, people on the road to genuinely human existence promised in Christ must avoid all cheap imitations. It's because it's valued. It's because it's a gift from God that there's these boundaries and there's these rules and restrictions around it. And, and the call is to trust God in that, trust his purpose. And as his holy people, stay in line with that. Don't go and, and, and go outside that and copy the world's darkness, even though we get bombarded all the time. And that's so difficult because it's, that message is bombarded, that the culture is so in, um, effective, and it, it can be a real battle. And, and the point of this is he's saying, and remember, it's not saying just shame and condemnation, get your act together. It's the point is, th- this is who you are, God's holy people now. Don't live that way. 
Don't copy the way that goes to darkness. Don't take our bodies that have God's temple spirit in them and, and unite them with things that don't honor him. But live into his true design and trust and follow him. And again, that's a journey. So, so people, will, everyone in some ways will struggle and we may fail. But that's not the point. The point is to be on this journey and the direction and to trust and to rest in him and keep trusting and following his design, not copying the world's darkness. So he keeps going, and then he says, For you were once darkness, you once were there, but now you are light in the Lord. He says, that's not who you are anymore. You've been changed. You're now light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illumined becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will sleep, will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. The last, last point what he's saying is to wake up and live in God's light, to, to become aware. Sometimes we can be going through life and we're living, but we're kind of half asleep or we're, we're not really thinking. He's saying, wake up. Realize Jesus' light has changed us. He's pulled us from darkness and set us in the light and, and recognize that and live in his light, focused on him. Eugene Peterson says this, the only adequate response that can be made to light is to keep our eyes open, to attend to what is illumined. He talks about adoration. And this is the idea, like the focus, and even in, in Paul's language, the focus is not on avoiding the darkness. Like he does say, don't copy that. He says, that shouldn't even be mentioned at all. He says, get away from that. Focus on the light. Focus on Jesus. Be, be awake, open our eyes, recognize who he is and remember him. We don't just avoid, we're not in avoidant mode. There is a need to avoid, but the focus is on him and, and being proactive in, in seeing him and his light. And as, as he keeps going, one of the best ways to do this is through singing with thankfulness, continually by his spirit. We recognize Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the beauty. God is holy, which is this beautiness, beautifulness, and, and goodness. And we focus on that light that's come into us and changed us and shaped us, and we devote ourselves to Him. That's, that's the focus. He says that do not get drunk on wine. That leads to debauchery. Like, don't escape. Don't just try and dumb, dull down the pain that it's, it's going to lead to get to be pulled to do things you don't want to do. Don't do that. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, with God's Holy Spirit speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord always, giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the best ways to wake up and to stay awake is to ask God to fill us with the Spirit. And then one great sign that the Spirit is at work in us is that we sing, <laughs> that we continually got a song, a psalm, a thanksgiving on our hearts to God, there's just a lightness, there's a trust. And at the same time, one of the best ways to stay in that place of trusting the Spirit is to sing, is to, is to even as a discipline, 
to, to be thankful, to acknowledge him, to keep him before our minds, to, to wake up and live in his light. So the focus is actually on him and what he's done and his goodness. So saying as we respond, as we seek to live as people devoted to him, not just avoiding bad, but actually devoted to him in holiness, we think in a new way, take off the old way of thinking, put on the new, it may need to be deliberate. We reflect Jesus' kindness in words and actions. The goal is that we, our, our purpose is that people would look at us and see Jesus in our lives, that, that we would reflect his goodness and his love in every part of our lives. And part of that is don't copy the world's darkness. And again, Paul makes a big point of, of matters of sex. Is, is, is a, seri- he takes it really seriously. He says, this is not a light thing. This is not like it doesn't matter. It, it, this is serious. He takes it seriously and, and trusts God's good design. Wake up and live in God's light, singing with thankfulness always. So he's saying we're called to be holy, devoted to God, because that's who he is. He is holy. And, and God's holiness in the Bible is like a dangerous thing. Like people died because they came into God's holiness, because his holiness would, would burn up in, in purity. The priests could only go into the Holy of Holies once a year and had to go through all these purifying things because God is holy. But that God who is holy has made a way to rescue us and change us and make it so we can live in his presence. And he actually lives inside of us. And, and now we're called to be holy because he is holy. He has done that through the cross. So saying as God's holy people, as who we are now, we're to live lives devoted entirely to God. We exist to be holy, to be devoted, to set apart. Our purpose is for him. There's a sacredness to life that needs to be honored. Scott McKnight, I'll finish with this, says, Because holiness is an utterly beautiful and glorious attribute of God, and because we are summoned to be holy, we aim to convert our shivers and eye rolls into affection. We don't want holy to to bring about eye rolls or like, okay, there's rules or, or I better do the right thing or it's a bit scary. We want holiness to cultivate our affection. Actually, yes, God is holy. He is beautiful. Actually, I want to be like that. I want to be devoted to that God in, in all of life. Words, actions, body, everything is for him. So we, we, we're going to respond um, now and, and sing, and we're going to sing about his devotion to us, and we're going to sing and praise him. And, and I'd invite you to stand, and, and I'll pray as, as we finish. And I guess the point and the takeaway of today is that we're trying to flip our mindset that holiness is not just the bare minimum but set apart for God, that we actually want to desire and live into that. So I'm going to pray, pray for that now. Father, would you just reveal yourself more and more to us? And we thank you that the truth is we are your holy people, God. We may come today and say we've failed. God, we may be aware of our sin and the ways we fall short. But because of you, Jesus, you say we are your holy people. We thank you that you forgive us, you rescue us. And would you renew our minds and our hearts and help us to live as who we are, people devoted to you. Yeah, just reshape our minds and our hearts and just fill us with your spirit, even as we sing now. 
that we would wake up to your light and to your love and goodness. We just pray this in your name. Amen.